I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Last month, Utah Governor Gary Herbert signed into law the Right to Try Act, which provides terminally ill patients access to experimental drugs that have completed at least early-stage clinical testing. Utah is the 10th state to pass such a law, and a growing list of other states are considering similar legislation. We spoke to Jonathan Johnson, founder of Utah's Right to Try Foundation, about the law, how it works, and the difference he expects it will make for patients who have exhausted available therapeutic options. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you, Daniel. The governor of Utah recently signed into law so-called right-to-try legislation that you played a key role in getting passed. Perhaps we could start with the law itself. What exactly does it do? Sure. The law says that uh, patients in Utah that have been diagnosed by their physician as terminally ill can access experimental drugs without going through the burdensome, compassionate use uh, process with the Food and Drug Administration. And uh, experimental drugs and medical devices are defined as drug medications and devices that have been through phase one of the FDA approval process but don't have to have been through phases two through completion. Well, Utah's not alone. It's it's the 10th state to have passed such legislation, and there are as many as two dozen others that are considering similar laws. In addition, there's federal legislation that's pending now with the Cures Act, a, a large FDA reform bill. How does Utah's law compare? Are are these all taking a, a similar approach, or are there notable differences? Yeah, Utah's, the first state to pass it was Colorado, and it passed it in 2014. And Utah's law is modeled on uh, the Colorado law. There are some minor differences, but for the most part, these laws are the same. And the good news about these state laws is that the FDA has taken a neutral position and is not trying to preempt them with its federal authority. So the eight or nine states that have passed right-to-try laws, their citizens have access to experimental drugs uh, earlier than others. Well, as you mentioned, the FDA does have a process in place that allows for this type of compassionate use. What's the problem these laws are trying to fix? Why why is legislation needed? Great question, and I'll share it. I'll answer it by sharing a personal experience. A few years ago, my father was diagnosed with leukemia, went through chemotherapy, was announced uh, cancer-free, but six months later, uh, when the leukemia came back, he didn't want to go through the, you know, all the hell that chemotherapy had been. So he went to his oncologist and said, I'd be more than willing to get on an experimental drug 
it may or may not help me. I've lived a long life, but at the very least, it can help uh, the drug company know what the drug is doing. And his, you know, he was asking to for a compassionate use exception, and his oncologist said, you know, that's just that's too much work to try and get that. Well, the work wasn't there wasn't any work for my father. It was a hundred plus hours of paperwork for his oncologist, and that's time that the oncologist couldn't be billing or working with other patients. So the compassionate use application process is so burdensome uh, that it's really it's it's hard to find a doctor who will help in the application. These state laws get rid of that application process. Well, there were some high-profile cases where dying patients found themselves at odds with drug makers as they were trying to get access to experimental drugs that might have offered some hope after they exhausted their options for available therapies. What's the case to make for giving patients access? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, Utah's right to trial law does not require the drug manufacturers uh, to provide the drugs. It's it's still up to the manufacturer to decide whether uh, it wants to give a drug to a particular patient. And when it when the when the drug company does, it will not be really that patient won't be part of the test because it won't be a double blind uh, situation. The patient will know that he or she is getting the drug and, and not a placebo. So it doesn't necessarily hurry things along from a clinical perspective, uh, but it certainly provides anecdotal evidence uh, that the drug company can use and build from going forth. Uh, and for some patients, um, you know, there's a very good chance that it will that it will help them and uh, extend or improve the quality of their life uh, despite being terminally ill. Well, pharmaceutical companies can be reluctant to provide access. Part of this has to do with fear that a, a dying patient using the drug, particularly for a use it may not have been intended, could affect the approval or success, a, a massive investment of time and money for a drug maker. Is that reasonable? Is there some kind of change of mind that's needed here among drug makers? Well, uh, first, under Utah's right to try law, the drug can only be accessed for what it's being, uh, what it's the approval process that's going through. So if it's a leukemia drug that's been through phase one of the FDA approval, uh, a patient can access it for uh, a different uh, than leukemia. So um, I think that the drug companies are, that concern is, is addressed in the law. Uh, you know, another concern that some of the drug companies have is being liable for adverse consequences for an experimental drug. And the way the law addresses that is the patient must sign informed consent, uh, informed by his doctor and, and the drug company, uh, and, and waive action against the drug company for uh, adverse effects that might happen from the drug and that's because the drug is still experimental. 
Bioethicists have, have expressed concerns that providing access to experimental drugs to patients outside of a clinical trial setting could undermine the whole clinical trial structure. Is, is there validity in this argument in your mind? Well, uh, ha having something done outside of the clinical trial, I don't think hurts the clinical trial as long as it's seen that it's outside. You, the drug company need not put it in and shouldn't put it in the results uh, of the clinical trial. What it does do is it provides uh, anecdotal evidence to the drug company, which will be useful for you know a positive or a negative piece of evidence. And most importantly, it it gives these patients uh, access to something that that may work and. Since it's only available to the terminally ill, uh, you've got people that don't really have anything to lose by being uh, by, by taking the drug. It's really all upside for them at that point. Early on, there were objections to the Utah law that since patients had to pay for the actual cost of the drug to the company, it could be prohibitive to people who lacked means. You, you took steps to address this through the creation of the Right to Try Foundation. Can you explain what you do and how that works? Sure. Uh, we really tried to address this two ways. First, uh, the Utah law provides that the, the drug company can't charge the patient more than the cost of the drug. And the cost is defined as the actual cost of materials and, 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 and composing the drug. It, it can't include any of the recouping of the R&D expenses because the drug's yet not approved. So I think that's one thing that will significantly uh, reduce the cost for those that are accessing the drug while the drug is experimental. Uh, that said, there are still a lot of medications that even just the cost of the chemicals in the composition uh, is expensive. And so uh, one of the criticisms of the Utah right to try law was that it wouldn't be accessible uh, to certain people without means. And so uh, rather than try and solve that through a government program, uh, we formed something called the Right to Try Foundation, which will, uh, it, the goal is to provide uh, funds to purchase experimental medications to families with less than $75,000 of annual income. So, as mentioned at the top, there are efforts uh, around the country in various states and also at the national level. Are are you involved with any efforts to expand the legislation, and, and do you see this being passed nationally as a, a solution? Uh, I was very involved in the in the Utah effort uh, and worked closely with uh, the Goldwater Institute, which is really taking the laboring or on uh, efforts in other states and nationally. So uh, I'm not the best one to ask about how it's going in other states, but uh, I would certainly be uh, involved in the national effort uh, if asked to, to get involved. Jonathan Johnson, founder of the Right to Try Foundation and chairman of Overstock.com. Jonathan, thanks so much for your time today. Daniel, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org.
To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.